electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, thank you, Wilfred, Sarah, and Mike Santoli. I am Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee, and this is The Big Show, Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on the show, a Tuesday timeout. Stocks pulling back from their all-time highs, and one market professional is sounding the alarm on some recent high flyers, the names on her watch list. Plus, break out the candles. It's been a decade to the day since General Motors IPO. So what's going on and what's going to drive this stock for the next 10 years? And later on, Bitcoin's back. The cryptocurrency surging to its highest level in nearly three years. We will find out what's behind that big move in Bitcoin. But first, we start with Goliath versus Goliath. The big battle between two retail behemoths intensifying today. Amazon taking new aim at Walmart by launching an online prescription fulfillment service. It is called, yes, Amazon Pharmacy. It delivers free, it offers free delivery for Prime members. This is new for Amazon, but Walmart has long offered home delivery on certain prescription products. Today's news is the latest in that growing turf war between the two retail giants. So, who is the better bet in the battle royale for consumer dollars? Guy Adami, I turn to you first for this. Walmart, Amazon, who you got? Well, first of all, Dom, it's great to have you. And you're right, this is the big show. I mean, this is like the masters for you. And you mentioned Goliath. It's like you playing golf against Joe Kern, and everybody just can't. They're just glued to their television trying to figure (laughs) out what's going to go on. But in this game of would you rather, and I'm going to self would you rather right at the top of the show. I would rather Walmart, and I think the stock sold off today for two reasons. I think there was a big inventory build. I think almost a 17% inventory build off a sales growth of about 5%. I think the street looked at that and said, hmm, maybe margins in the next quarter won't be great. And the other thing was the fact that they didn't seem to give guidance. I think that disappointed some people because, in my opinion, the quarter was solid. Amazon, by comparison, you have that September 2nd all-time high, 35.50. Then in October, 34.50. Then in November, 33.50-ish. So you've had a series of lower lows. At 29.50 in Amazon as you're lying in the sand. Breaks there, watch out. I would rather Walmart in this game of Goliath versus Goliath. All right, so let's go here. We're going to go around the horn-ish, but I'm going to go diagonally down to Karen Feinerman. Which is it, Walmart or Amazon, the better buy at these levels? Well, this is kind of a lame answer, but I'm long both. I am long much more Walmart, though, than I am Amazon. I think the valuation differential, even if we take out the cloud business, the valuation uh, differential is so big that I have to be bigger in Walmart. All right, Tim Seymour, you. Uh, by the way, as much as I'd like to see you against Kernan on the golf course, I'd much rather see Godzilla versus Mothra, um, which was an not epic Mecha Godzilla, not Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> Maybe. But 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 ultimately, if we're doing Amazon, Walmart, it's definitely Walmart. I've actually been adding to a Walmart long over the last couple of weeks, to be clear. Uh, if you look at their numbers in e-commerce and, and you look at the the addressable market growth that they have as an opportunity ahead of them, 
totally dwarfs uh, the opportunity to encroach upon where Walmart is on deliverable pharmacy. If you look at where same store sales were for Walmart in the U.S., up 6.4 percent, the fact that they're actually growing their U.S. business uh, in the same footprint is great. But the e-commerce growth, which is close to triple digits, the fact that they're in only 8.9 percent of U.S. households in Walmart Plus, about 10 million Walmart Plus already, um, tells me they have a much bigger opportunity to disrupt Amazon than Amazon does to them. And it's all about the multiple, whatever you want to put on uh, on Walmart, at least relative to an e-commerce multiple, is going to have a huge impact on where you value this company. But around 23 times, uh, this company has a lot of room to expand on the multiple if you believe that this is a growing e-commerce story. Remember, Amazon didn't care about profitability in their first days of e-commerce and gaining market share and competing on price. This is what Walmart does in their sleep, and they're destroying people on groceries right now, especially on e-commerce groceries. Now, now Dan, Nathan, I, I said Goliath versus Goliath in the beginning of the intro to this segment. In fact, Amazon, if you want to consider them Goliath, Walmart is like a mini Goliath. I mean, Amazon is umpteen, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, it's so much bigger than Walmart is in terms of market cap. But the stock return is key. Walmart is up 26%, very respectable in 2020. Amazon is still up 70% already so far this year. Is the valuation argument one that favors Walmart over Amazon? I don't really think so. I mean, I, I think these guys all make great points about Walmart's ability to gain share. They have less than 10% e-commerce market share here in the U.S. You know, Amazon has 38% and it's still growing. Amazon grew sales or is going to grow sales this year 35% off a $280 billion number this year versus Walmart at low single digits. So to me, I think that, that Amazon is just so, you know, far ahead of Walmart. I, I listen, I think Walmart is doing amazing things. Target is doing amazing things. Some of, some of our retailers were forced to adapt this year. They were forced to leverage investments they'd been making for years and take advantage of this acceleration into e-commerce. But I see no reason to believe that Amazon is not going to continue just to destroy every new category and then also maintain their market share at least in the mid to high 30s as far as taking new share in e-commerce. So to me, I think Amazon down 11% from its recent highs. I like the fact that it's consolidating in and around here. I'm just going to tell you in 2021, if Walmart's going to work, Amazon's also going to work. I don't think you have to play would you rather here. All right. That's why Karen Feinerman owns both of them right now. So let's talk a little bit more about that big battle between Walmart and Amazon. Joining us now is Stephanie Wissink, retail equity analyst at Jefferies. Stephanie, thank you very much for joining us on the Fast Line tonight. You've, you've heard the traders bally it about. In your mind, is Amazon still the preeminent way to play retail versus Walmart? Yeah, thanks for having me. I think I tend to agree with the traders that are suggesting why not both. I think if we're talking about prescription medications as a proxy for why two can win and not one, I mean, 48% of the U.S. population uses a prescription medication every 30 days, and there's 4.5 billion retail prescriptions that are filled every year. That is ample playground for both Walmart and Amazon to win, at least in the medium term. And I think in order to pick one or the other, we needed to get into a pretty clear duopolistic situation, and we're not even close to that yet. All right, it's the battle for the consumer, Stephanie. But, but I wonder, when it comes to opportunity, Amazon getting into prescription drugs and, and delivery of these types of products. It's a disruptive force, there's no doubt. But take a look at Walmart's customer base and who uses their pharmacy delivery 
and then look at the Prime membership roster. Where is the bigger opportunity? Amazon encroaching on spaces like for CVS Health and Walgreens and Walmart, or Walmart trying to make some inroads versus Amazon in this type of market? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think I would agree again with the panel that Walmart, from an opportunity perspective, has much further of a gap to close. And at the same time, I think we have to recognize that Amazon is changing consumer expectations every single day. And so the more they get involved in these categories, while they may not be the number one share owner in the category, they are going to change consumer expectations. And that has direct derivative implications on how these retailers have to react. Hey, Stephanie, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. A theme that I've been pounding in in other sectors as well, where there is the possibility to have a hybrid multiple of sorts. I think Walmart's the perfect case. What's the right number for a company that's growing e-commerce sales uh, disproportionate to the rest of their business? Ticket sizes growing higher, even if actual transactions are down because of e-commerce. Do you keep the same multiple or can we run it up one or two turns and, and get a very different price? Yeah, I agree with you. I think the multiple here is deflated relative to the opportunity set. So if we continue to see the e-com business grow, I think we have to recognize that Walmart has the ability to fulfill from store, and that is a proximity advantage that they have. And in the prescription business, that's going to become even more important because the vast majority of prescriptions are filled same day. So that that ticket is written and that that prescription is filled. So if we look at those immediacy-type categories, uh, grocery prescription, those are going to be the areas where having that physical presence is going to win. And then I'm really interested to see it. We, we saw Walmart put up great numbers today, and it was broad-based across the entire portfolio. And so it's not just isolated to grocery, but it really is across general merchandise categories as well. So I think we have to give Walmart some credit that they're battling the big giants in their specialty or a, a company like Amazon, which is kind of an, an all-encompassing online broadlines company that Walmart is holding its own share and in many cases is gaining. So I think there is opportunity for both of these companies to coexist and the multiple should reflect that with an e-commerce business that's growing near 80 percent. Pretty reputable uh, for a company of Walmart size. Stephanie, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. My only, uh, I guess, the only fly in the omen of the call was I wanted more on Walmart Plus and they really didn't give it and that made me think they didn't really give any not guidance, but any sort of color around it because maybe it wasn't performing as well as they hoped. Did you did you share that or do you have a different view? No, I think we all were left a little bit underwhelmed with the lack of disclosure around Walmart Plus. I think there's a lot of enthusiasm around what that platform could mean for Walmart. So there's, there's still an intense level of curiosity around what, what the size and scale of that business is and ultimately just how big that CRM could be. I think a couple of the breadcrumbs they left for us, though, is that they did indicate they were pleased with the initial uptake. So I think you're seeing early adoption be in line with or maybe even a little bit ahead of what they were expecting. But I think the value is really going to be created in how that data is used and what those customers share back with Walmart about their interests and their indications and how that allows Walmart to be even better at targeting and building bigger baskets with those consumers. So it feels a bit like it's a feedback loop right now and maybe in the future becomes more of a platform of opportunity. And I do think there's a monetization strategy down the road. You know that Walmart does also have a a bit of a media or ad business and they have a big marketplace model in their online business as well. So I can see how they're looping together some various uh, and different strategies, which ultimately at the end of the day is going to kind of put the consumer at the center and, and wrap around the consumer with all of these different monetization opportunities. It's a key battle for sure. Stephanie Wissink over at Jeffries. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. 
All right, guys, it wasn't just Walmart and Amazon on the retail front today. We heard from Home Depot as well. Strong earnings there. Blowout same-store sales growth. But the stock struggled just like Walmart's did. Guy, I'm wondering for your take here, what's up? These are great numbers. Walmart and Home Depot both giving up gains today. Yeah, I think in terms of Home Depot, maybe people look at valuation and say maybe it's stretched. You know, you've seen you've actually seen this before with Home Depot. It's not like we haven't seen an earnings report. The stocks sell off. So it doesn't concern me as much. I think Home Depot is still really firing on all cylinders. The only real reservation I think people have comes in the form of valuation. And, you know, I know in 1976, Tim remembers this, Dom, you probably weren't around yet, but Mary McGregor uh, recorded a song. And as Tim will tell you, it's torn called between Torn Between Two, between two lovers. lovers. So that's why, yeah, yeah exactly. Like so that's why I'm playing Would You Rather. Feeling like a fool. <laughs> Loving more than you's breaking all the rules. And I don't want to break the rules, which is yeah. why in the game I'll take Walmart. I understand why you'd want to own them both. But I think Walmart has more upside. In terms of Home Depot, you give it a couple days, I think you buy it again, Don. All right, so Dan Nathan, I, I, I'm kind of curious. Um, music references aside. We had a, a real, almost secular tailwind, it felt like, for, for these home improvement type companies. And COVID just exacerbated it. It's not just low interest rates. It's not just government stimulus checks. These stocks have gone up even without some of these tailwinds. Can it continue? And what drives the next leg higher? Well, I think it's probably seasonal, Dom. I, you know, I think that you kind of look back and you look at those gov- uh, government stimulus checks that had a lot to do with it, the forced lockdowns. So we're going into a period right now where the virus is surging again. We're not having forced lockdowns and we don't have fiscal stimulus. And we probably pulled forward a ton of demand. I know we had a conversation a few weeks ago about Whirlpool in, into their earnings report. And we were kind of debating whether this is a, you know, a sto- multi-leg story or is it ready to take a pause? And you saw what happened after their results. So to me, I I think that Lowe's, Home Depot, I think these can take a pause. I think it's going to be a long winter here. And and I'm not certain that um, there's enough stimulus behind a weakening economy right now that is going to keep this trade going. Um, You know, we may have to revisit in the spring. All right. So seasonal trends playing out there for sure. Thanks very much, guys. Coming up on the show, Twitter's got a new look. But will the little bluebird's newest feature be a fleeting craze? We'll dig in and explain. And then later on, General Motors lost decade. It's been 10 years since the company's IPO and the stock has been stuck in neutral. So what will it take to kick things into high gear, into overdrive? All that and more when Fast Money returns after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Here we go. Welcome back to the show. Fleet Week came a little bit early here on Fast Money or late, depending on how you want to look at it. No, we're not talking about ships or the Navy. We're talking about tweets. Twitter rolling out a new feature today called Fleets, just like in Fleet of Ships. 
Let's get out to Julia Borston with the details, not in the Navy, but still take us through what exactly <laughs> fleet fleets. This has nothing to do with the Navy, Dom. Sorry to disappoint, but Twitter is the latest social platform to allow its users to post photos or text that automatically disappears after 24 hours. Now, fleets, this refers to the fleeting nature of a thought, are now rolling out to iPhone and Android users. Now, this is designed to play into users' desire to minimize their digital footprint, and Twitter says that those new to the platform when they were testing it out found it an easier way easier way to share. But on the downside, the fact that these messages disappear means that fleets lend themselves less well to advertising. Now, this feature of disappearing messages was pioneered by Snapchat's Stories feature and then followed by Instagram Stories. Twitter's latest feature launch comes the same day that CEO Jack Dorsey testified before the Senate along with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. They both said they agree that the Section 230 liability shield needs to be revised. Both of them called for more transparency around rulemaking and enforcement. They were also pressed on anti-conservative bias, which they both denied. Dom? All right. Julia Borston, fleets, I guess it means fleeting. That's the play on words, right? (laughs) Pretty much. All right. Julia Borston, thank you very much. Twitter, we're going to trade it. Maybe not in a fleeting way, but Dan, Nathan, Fleets, are they a game changer for Twitter? Does it make you want to buy the stock? Well, listen, I, I don't think it's a game changer, but I do like the fact that I opened my Twitter application today on my iPhone and I saw something different for like the first time in 10 years. And I thought that was pretty cool. There's a company that has not been um, growing users. That was one of the reasons why the stock got nailed um, last month pop following their Q3 results. And I think that they have a lot of innovations to roll out. Not all of them are, are going to be game changers. Um, but to me, I like the th- fact I, that they're doing it for all intents and purposes. I just make one point is that you know, I don't know why this has to be, you know, like an Instagram or a Snapchat sort of thing. I don't know why tweets can't expire after one day, that sort of thing. And maybe they're going to be pushing towards that. But I like the innovation. Karen, do you like the innovation? Is this going to make you tweet more? I follow you on Twitter. You do? <laughs> I think I follow you, too. I don't tweet very much, though. So it's I'm not really there the target user though i mean for social media stocks i'd rather be in in facebook and mark zuckerberg also getting grilled on the hill today you know i just um i just still think despite all of the political noise around it i don't know what's actually going to change and you know the product that they provide advert targeted advertising is just too valuable so That's, I like Facebook here. I think the valuation's not expensive. I mean, it, it, it may be worth noting here, like you said, Karen, that these both these CEOs were grilled by lawmakers on Capitol Hill on both sides of the aisle, by the way. Guy Adami, I don't know if you caught any of that grilling that happened today for those CEOs. I watched some of it. Is this a true scenario where social media has real headwinds in the coming years because of just how much controversy they've stoked about are they publishers or just platforms? I missed it. I was actually relacing my shoes at the time. That was, I found that more interesting than watching uh, virtual hearings from the floor of the Senate. With that said, Jack Dorsey's a stud, and I don't think he gets enough credit for uh, running two companies simultaneously. And in terms of the stock, I think Twitter's fine. Now, I didn't think it was going to go from 53 to 38, but 38 was the level that it held a few months ago. 38 seems to be the line in the sand. 
And if you look, David Einhorn from Greenlight just in, uh, initiated a position, I think half a million shares or so. And he's obviously one of the more savvy investors out there. So I think Twitter is fine. Uh, I think you try to buy it again here. Again, I didn't anticipate that huge decline from 53 down to 38. But 38 is your line in the sand. I think it goes higher from here, Dom. All right, there's your trade for you on Twitter. Thanks very much, guys. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here is what's coming up next. We're breaking out the candles and party hats to celebrate a major milestone for GM. But will the next 10 years deliver gains that investors are wishing for? We get some answers. And later, a Bitcoin breakthrough. With the cryptocurrency at its highest level since 2017, how long until it gets back to new highs? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Happy birthday of sorts to GM. It was 10 years ago today that General Motors IPO'd following its government-backed bankruptcy and bailout during the great financial crisis. And in that time, a lot has happened for the company. But for investors, as you can see there, it's hardly been a joyride. Let's get to our very own Phil LeBeau with more on that and GM's birthday. Good afternoon, Phil. Hi, Dom. You know, 10 years ago, I remember being at the New York Stock Exchange, interviewed Chris Lydell, who was the CFO of GM, And he said, boy, I think we're going to be primed to do really well. And he wasn't alone. A lot of people on the floor that day said, check this out. It's coming in at 33. Wouldn't be surprised if it ends the day at about 45 or 50. It'll be at 60 in a couple of months. Uh, No, it it never has gotten above $45 a share. And it certainly didn't that day. Traded up, maybe I think it finished at like 33.18, something like that. It was a pretty anticlimactic uh, IPO after the government structured uh, bankruptcy. But a lot has changed for General Motors over the last 10 years. It is not as though this company has stood still and the CEOs, and there have been a couple of them since that IPO, have done nothing. Over the last five years, it's been Mary Barra in charge. What's happened to GM? Well, it is a far more profitable company, probably the most profitable decade they've ever had. Net income, $55.5 billion over the last 10 years. They have exited Europe That was a huge move, a smart move, because Europe was nothing but a waste hole where they continually lost money. They have cut money-losing models, primarily cars and sedans, which has been a move in the industry, focusing on the profitable trucks and SUVs. And they've started the pivot to electric vehicles. All of this raises the question, okay, when you look at General Motors, what is the EV plan? Well, they've got 20 new models by 2023. They're going to be focusing on making more EV SUVs and pickups. Think about the Hummer that's on the way uh, starting at the end of next year into 2022. They're going to leverage the Ultium battery technology, which, by the way, within the industry, 
A lot of people say that's the real key here at General Motors. That's the asset to focus on, and they're going to be flexing their muscle in China. Remember, they are the number two brand in China. It is the country that is embracing EVs faster than any other country. That's where GM will hope to hopes to make uh, hay when it comes to electric vehicles in the future. And the reason we're pointing this out is because you compare GM versus Tesla and NIO. And NIO, I, I, I think they made 18,000 cars last year, Dom. I mean, something ridiculously low, and yet they've had a better year, a better last six months than General Motors. So that's going to be the key. What happens now as the industry pivots toward electric vehicles? And General Motors is positioned to do well. Now the question is, can they execute on their strategy? Phil, I, I got a question for you. I'm going to strip, for the time being, and, and indulge me, I'm going to strip Tesla and Neo and all the other smaller boutique right. electric EV vehicle makers kind of out of the out of the equation. When you look at the majors, the Toyotas, the GMs, yep. the Audis of the world, which do you think have the bets placed properly in terms of trying to drive growth in the future? The best bets right now, probably GM and Volkswagen. And they, they are probably, they have the best portfolio strategies that have been laid out. But again, it comes down to execution. Now, General Motors, the Ultium battery technology is strong. And what their game plan is makes sense on paper. But every time I bring this up with people in the industry, everybody says the same thing. They have got to execute. They certainly didn't do that with the Volt nor the Bolt. Don't make it strike three with future products. Most believe the Hummer is a good indication that they will not strike out in the future and that they will execute. So look at GM and look at Volkswagen. Those are really the two big boys that are best positioned. Ford is putting a lot of resources into EVs as well. So you can't count them out at this point. But when it comes to the established automakers, those are the ones to focus on. All right, Phil LeBeau, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now let's trade it around the horn here. Coming up, guys, let's talk a little bit about what's happening with these EVs and GM. Karen Feinerman, is GM a stock? I I said it was stuck in neutral. The chart shows it. What gets them out of neutral? Well, this is the new not neutral for them. I'm long it. I've been long it for a really long time. It was very painful. I think it might have traded as low as 14 in the depths of the pandemic market sell-off. I'm long it here. I, I love Mary Barra. I love all of the very dramatic changes, and Phil did a great job outlining them, uh, you know, shrinking where they should have, like in Europe, their China presence, Ultium ba- um, their Ultium battery. That's what uh, they're talking about with Nikola. Um, and I think the Hummer in itself won't be a, a, a game changer, but I think he's right about them having a, uh, if they have a hit on their hands, that would be great. I believe in her. The stock is not crazy expensive at all. It's only that it was just stuck in the mud in the 30s or 20 handle for so long that it feels expensive here, but it really isn't. So I am staying long GM. Tim Seymour, Karen makes great points about the the valuation argument there. Is General Motors one that you think could be a good place to put some bets betting on electric vehicles in the future of, 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 of of the auto industry, I should say, as a whole? Well, Karen and I have been united in our belief in GM since uh, Global Motors IPO'd 10 years ago, which is what we were calling it because uh, of, of their assets around the world at a time when we were experiencing global cyclical growth and the world seemed like a, a place that wanted to come together. But the most important thing at GM that came out of that, that, that restructuring in the IPO is it, it came out fundamentally a more profitable company. And I think the market has failed to recognize that and failed to ascribe uh, more value to the cash and the balance sheet. And that actually may be a catalyst in terms of capital allocation. 
But you talked about like the, the absurdity of valuations in the auto space. And yeah, I'll at me all day long. But GM has the best selling EV car in China ahead of ahead of Tesla, ahead of Neo. Um, and it's a company that obviously has major drivers that fill laid out in terms of their models coming here. Most importantly, this this stock trades around six, six and a half times the next 12 months. It's ridiculously cheap. And it's a company that's proven to be structurally more profitable. The old GM of the of even that IPO, even though it came out of it more profitable, um, is is one that was afraid to cut assets and unprofitable. The fact that North America is profitable again for this company is extraordinary. I've been adding to a position over the last month and a half, and I, I think it's going a lot higher. All right, thanks very much, guys, for the thoughts on GM. There coming up on the show. Bitcoin breaking out in a very big way. We'll find out what sent the cryptocurrency to its highest level in nearly three years. We are pushing the $18,000 mark. Remember, the record highs were just below $20,000 three years ago. Plus, we are gearing up for earnings from this year's best-performing semiconductor stock. How our traders are playing NVIDIA into tomorrow's results. Fast Money is back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Markets pulling back today, as you can see there, after the S&P and Dow set new record highs. So where do stocks go from here and where should you put your money now? Let's bring in Nadine Terman, CEO of Solstein Capital. Nadine, you saw the red numbers on the screen, but it's a streak that's broken to the upside. What exactly are your thoughts right now about whether the market is the place to buy? And if so, what types of companies, what types of industries? (laughs) Don, thanks for having me. It's really about positioning. If you look at where implied volatility and realized volatility has been, which we do through the options market and key positions around the world, you can see the surface implied volatility. And then when you look out further in the future, it's very complacent. So what it means is that people are not paying as much for protection as they were a month ago. So that should give you a little bit of a red or yellow flag, I would say, versus the last two Mondays of the stock market going up. But we still do see lots of pockets of opportunity. So it's not to say that you can't invest. You just have to be a little bit more selective. All right. So tell me more. Where? I mean, (laughs) is it is it like a Tesla? Is it is it like an Amazon? Is it is it in the small caps, the growth space? Is the value rotation coming back for real this time? I don't know. You know, you saw the quick move. You know, we wrote about it to our investors in mid-October that there'd be a small cap rally. Well, that happened. So I'd be careful playing that from here. But where are great opportunity zones? One is China. We've been long China for a few months now. Whether it's China tech, the China consumer, or China the country, there's lots of ways to play it for your viewers. You can do it through ETFs. One is CHIQ, that's the consumer. You could do KBA, which is broad uh, China. And then KWeb is China Tech. So JD is a position that you're showing now. We've been long Pinduoduo, Duo, um, CISO. When those are dislocating after a huge run, as it was in Pinduoduo Duo today, we'd be picking up some of those dollars left on the floor. Nadine, it's Guy. Thanks for being here. What about some of the casino stocks that have exposure, like a Macau, for example? Does a Las Vegas Sands uh, make sense at these levels? You know, it does. I think you have to trade around it because they are shedding their U.S. assets. I think that's a strategy to appease the Chinese government. 
and to be able to get the registrations, the licenses they need. But China is having a huge effort to connect Hong Kong, which is the financial capital, with China, the mainland, and also, as you mentioned, Macau, which is the entertainment center. So we believe the China consumer is very strong right now, and you're going to see significant improvement. It could be LVS, as you mentioned, so Las Vegas Sands, Melco. There's other positions there abroad, too, that should benefit. All right. Nadine Terman, Solstein Capital. Thank you very much. Great to get your thoughts. You'll have to join us again soon. Thank you. All right. Dan Nathan, I'm I'm interested because China has been kind of put on the, I mean, as much as it can be put on the back burner. We were talking trade war for months and months and months on end until COVID. Is China the place to be given what we've seen over the last several months? Well, listen, Tim has been saying that for the last several months, so I give him a lot of credit there. It's been a massive breakout. He's been talking about it a lot. I'll just mention this, that Alibaba today closed on the low of the day. It's down about 20% from its all-time high just made late um, last October. It looks like it's got another 10% down to its breakout level from early July. But if you think that they've dealt with the virus better and they basically have reopened and you think the Chinese consumer is okay, that's probably one that you can start picking at on its way back to that 230-235 level because to me that's probably the best consumer in the world right now to bet on given where they are versus the virus um, to us right here. So Karen we're showing now charts of Alibaba we're showing we did show during Nadine's segment Pinduoduo, JD.com, also C Limited. Is there a particular favorite you have with regard to taking a view on that China trade? Well, I have Alibaba. It's actually a fairly big position. So I find myself in the unusual position of agreeing with every word that Dan just said. So I like Alibaba right here. I bought some higher than here. So uh, that was before the Ant Financial, which I do think is that is a real um, that is a real hit to value. Is it this much of a hit? I don't think so. So I would be a buyer right here. All right. Alibaba, a buyer there for Karen Feinerman. Coming up on the show, the cannabis craze is red hot right now. How can you profit off of that pot trade? We'll be joined next by a top CEO in the cannabis industry. And then later on, the crypto craze. Yeah, it's back again. Bitcoin soaring, as you can see there, almost reaching 18,000 per token. We'll find out what's driving the big move in crypto when Fast Money returns after this. Welcome back. This is Fast Money. Earnings season in full swing, and the retail industry isn't the only one reporting this week. We are also getting results from all the pot stocks. Check out True Leaf Cannabis, the company reporting a record quarter today. The stock is up nearly 130% just so far in 2020. Joining us now is the CEO of True Leaf, Kim Rivers. Kim, welcome back to the show. Please talk to us about what exactly is driving those record results from a big picture perspective, is it because there is expansion specifically here in the U.S.? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We are on the cusp of a cannabis wave in this country. We saw this last election with every single state that had a cannabis ballot initiative on the ballot passing overwhelmingly um, from the deep south state of Mississippi to, of course, our friends up north in New Jersey, Uh, And really, I think it's just becoming more and more evident as time passes that this is not a partisan issue. It's not a red or a blue issue. It is, in fact, a human one. So certainly, I think from a macro perspective, health and wellness alternatives, particularly in the year 2020, are becoming very, very important to American consumers. 
And then also, of course, we've got operators who now are reaching scale. So TrueLeave is an example. We employ over 4,000 people. We have operations of 1.9 million square feet of cultivation. We deploy products across 71 stores across six states. So, you know, the opportunity is becoming very real and it is, in fact, here to stay. Kim, I, I wonder, is there a specific geography that is hotter than others right now or that's growing faster? Are there specific products around the cannabis ecosystem that are doing better? Is it, say, CBD type creams? Is it straight up hemp products? What exactly is driving some of that growth? You know, it's interesting. We actually see growth across many markets in the U.S. Um, certainly, as I mentioned, we've got the Northeast Corridor, uh, which is turning on. Um, New Jersey overwhelmingly adopting recreational use certainly is going to be a catalyst, we think, for that part of the country where many states already have robust medical programs. In our uh, you know, starter state of Florida here, um, we have approximately 2% of the population that are medical cannabis patients, and that market is growing um, incredibly, you know, it's incredibly hot right now in terms of the growth trajectory with over, you know, 3,000 patients joining the program on a weekly basis. You've got, of course, out west and um, the Arizona market, which just adopted recreational as well. And then really in the central part of the country, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, really, you know, in quite some time with South Dakota uh, passing both uh, medical and recreational, which was a historical moment and that they passed both initiatives uh, this past election. So it's happening everywhere, quite frankly. And of course, our friends out West have been part of the cannabis craze for quite some time, as we have some more mature markets in uh, both California and in Colorado, Oregon and Washington. But even those markets, we're seeing impressive growth rates on a, on a sequential basis. So, um, you know, and in terms of products, what I can say is that certainly CBD has its place. Um, however, we are seeing, of course, the CBD market is fairly saturated. Um, and a lot of that is regulatory in nature. Um, you know, there haven't been many restrictions or they've been kind of caught in a bit of purgatory from a regulatory perspective with the federal uh, with federal government. Uh, really, we're seeing high growth again in THC products. Ratio products, of course, are important for folks as well. We're starting to see um, some growth also in uh, minor cannabinoid products. So, for example, we just released a product that's a CBN product, non-psychoactive, is derived from full THC, but assists with, is, is, assists with sleep. So lots of research should be done still in this in the space, lots of innovation happening in the space and really incredible growth across a number of categories and certainly across the country. Hey, Kim, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. These are great numbers. And, you know, you talk about that growth and you, truly is referred to as the gold standard in terms of profitability in the industry. And and so help us understand just how sustainable this growth is. Uh, you know, as someone that's been investing in the industry for a long time, uh, I think we're only just getting to uh, both the, the addressable market, et cetera. But talk about profitability and talk about the operational leverage in your business as one of the leaders. You know, there's a handful of leaders that seem like they're moving ahead of the pack. And, and, and how much, how far ahead of the pack are you? There's a few questions in there, um, but address those if you can. Sure. Um, well, in terms of the overall opportunity, like I said, we're seeing really a sentiment change across the country, which is going to lead to changes um, from a regulatory perspective, which, of course, is a key driver as additional states open up. Um, and then, of course, as those states continue to expand their programs, I mean, Pew Research poll in 2019, 91% of Americans are in favor of some form of, of cannabis. And so, again, certainly we think that that um, macro opportunity is certainly there. When you talk about truly even our business, we have to be extremely financially disciplined in this industry. And um, as you know, Tim, we are taxed under 280E, which is a significantly higher tax yep. rate. Um, it's approximately 50 percent 
uh, tax rate. You know, to put it in perspective, year to date, uh, TrueLeaf has paid um, approximately $71 million in taxes. In a normal business or in, an, in any other type of business, we would have paid approximately or we would have saved approximately $40 million. Why that's important and why we have to watch every single dollar is the fact that our cost of capital is also significantly higher. As you know, we aren't able to fully uplist in the US. And so uh, in our rates, in terms of what I'll call them cannabis rates are significantly more expensive. We don't have access to regular, regular banking. So we are literally in this industry um, plowing ahead with 50% EBITDA yep. margins and again, high level of growth and, and revenue uh, production with one, with one arm, um, sometimes it feels like two arms tied behind our back. So you can just imagine the opportunity and the growth opportunity in the sector if we were just able to operate like a normal business and, and that the hand, if the handcuffs were taken off. All right. TrueLeaf yep. CEO Kim Rivers, thank you very much. We appreciate it. You'll have to come back soon. Tell us what's going on with that, with that business and, of course, the margin story as well. We'd love to. All right. Coming up on the show, NVIDIA shares are surging this year with earnings on deck. Can the chip stock rally keep going? We'll dive into the options pits for a look at that. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Yes, the Kramer cam. Jim's chatting exclusively with the CEO of Lordstown Motors. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour. Much more Fast Money coming up after this. Welcome back. We have breaking news right now out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to Elon Moy with the latest COVID infection positivity. Elon. Dom, Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, has now tested positive for coronavirus. In a tweet, he says that he is feeling good and will keep up on his work for the people of Iowa from home. However, this does throw a wrench into the possible confirmation of Judy Shelton to the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors. Her nomination failed to move forward today, in part because Grassley and another Republican senator have been in quarantine after being exposed to COVID. If and when McConnell will bring her nomination up again for a vote remains in question, especially now as we're learning, Dom, that Chuck Grassley has tested positive for coronavirus. Back to you. All right, Elon Moy, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. Switching gears now, check out what's happening with shares of NVIDIA pulling back just slightly today alongside the rest of the market. The chip stock heads into tomorrow's big earnings report up more than, get this, 125 percent this year. And options traders are betting even more gains lie ahead. Mike Co has the action, the options action. Over to you. Hey. Hi, Dom. How are you? So what we did see was calls outpacing puts. Right now, the options market's implying a move of about 7%, just under the 8% that it's averaged over the last eight quarters. And one of the areas that we saw some activity were the November 550 calls that expire this Friday. About 3,000 of those traded for $12.5. Buyers of those calls might be betting that the stock could retest the highs that we saw on November 6th. All right, Mike Coe with the action there from NVIDIA ahead of that big earnings report. Thank you very much. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. It happens Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Well, coming up, attention, hodl gang. Crypto guys know what I'm talking about. Bitcoin doing something it has not done in about three years. Those details when Fast Money returns after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert for you. The cryptocurrency is in rally mode. Again, still trading above the 17,000 mark for the first time since, yes, December of 2017. Also, the market cap nearing an all-time high. So is the crypto rally here to stay? Karen, to you. 
Yes, I think the crypto rally is here to stay. I don't think it's perfectly linear. I was sort of surprised during the day I saw it up a few hundred. And, you know, we talked a lot about institutional investors having an interest. I called BK, said, hey, BK, what's up? By then it was up maybe a thousand. (laughs) And he said, yeah, the institutional interest is just exploding. And then he mentioned to me that Scaramucci at Skybridge is actually starting a Bitcoin and other alternative Fund. So, um, if you know, institutional investors now feel like the good housekeeping seal of approval is on it with, um, you know, Paul Tudor Jones and Druckenmiller and Novogratz and others. So I'm staying long Bitcoin. All right, Dan, Nathan, what about you crypto wise? We know what you feel, but is this rally sustainable? You know, it's funny. Uh, back to BK, uh, Brian Kelly, you know, he and I had a chat about it recently, too. He t- showed me a log chart, a five year of Bitcoin. You look at that thing and it looks like it's about to absolutely explode. We know a lot of traders in the in the, in the space look at the technicals. Um, and I just mentioned this is that it's not just Bitcoin. Um, there's a lot of other cryptos that combined have gained the market shape of uh, Bitcoin in the last six months. All right. So not just Bitcoin. We'll take a look at all the other parts of the ecosystem as well. And of course, those prices is pushing up at 18,000 mark. All right, guys, it's time now for the final trades. We'll go around the horn. Tim Seymour to you first. Yeah, so happy birthday to GM at, at, at 10. And it's trading well south of 10 times earnings and is worth buying even after a big move. I am long. All right, long GM. Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, you know, guys always in my head, the Twitter. I don't think Fleet is, you know, game-changing, but I think it's good little innovation. I think you can buy Twitter here. All right, buy Twitter. Karen Feinerman. Yes, and Dan was in my head. I liked everything he said on Baba. I would buy it right here. I did buy it higher. So Alibaba. Alibaba's a buy there. And Guy Adami, we started the show with you. We will end it with you. What do you think? Yeah, and Dan Nathan's got me thinking. I mean, he was so dour about long winters, long December. So a little counting crows for you, Dom. Great tune. Levered energy plays. PSX. And go out with the crows. I'm, I'm feeling mellow right now. Thanks very much to all of you guys for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.